fourth watch starts now. Hello, everybody. You're listening to The Fourth Watch with Justin Fall on The Fourth Watch Radio Network. I hope everyone's having a blessed week. Tonight, we're going to be discussing some urban legends with the hosts of Paratruth Radio. And we'll be discussing some different perspectives and plausible explanations. We've got a lot to cover, so let's go ahead and start the adventure. Submitted for the approval of the Fourth Watch Radio Network, I call this episode Paratruth Urban Legends. So we find ourselves in a culture that's fascinated with the paranormal. Most of us have grown up hearing tales of urban legends involving various characters and even instructions for conjuring up some of these. So tonight we're going to be joined by Eric and Justin of Paratruth Radio. And we'll be discussing a few urban legends, and we're going to try to sift through some of the details and see if there's any plausibility therein. So let's go ahead and go to the line with Eric and Justin. Hey guys, welcome to the Fourth Watch. How are you tonight? Good, good. Very good. What's going on? Thank How you doing? Now, it's really cool because you guys reached out to me maybe a month ago, month and a half, I don't remember. And we got connected and found out that we're, we share a lot of the same interests when it comes to the types of topics we cover. But mm-hmm. most, Im- most importantly, we come to it with a biblical perspective. And I think that's so important in the times we're living because there's so many radio shows out there doing what we do, but they're giving a worldview, a skewed new age worldview. And so it's really great to be able to connect with guys like yourself. And it's encouraging to know that there's other radio shows out there doing what I'm doing. So Paratruth Radio is P-A-R-A-T-R-U-T-H Radio. And you can find Paratruth Radio at paratruthradio.com. And you guys are now broadcasting on Spreaker.com, correct? Yes, sir. (laughs) The fabulous Spreaker. Excellent. Tonight, we're going to be talking about urban legends. Now, this is one of those topics that a lot of people get excited about. I know I'm excited about it. And there's so many legends out there, especially especially legends that have seemed to really have taken over America. I know growing up, I heard many stories um, we even had some that were, were local legends in Texas about a guy that lived in the sewers that raised alligators and he would kidnap people. We had one about a woman named the Cat Lady. And there's, there's so many urban legends out there. And I think it's interesting that you guys have done quite a bit of studying on this as well. So tonight I want to kind of take us into Paratruth Radio mode and I want to dig into some of the the highlights, some of your favorite topics involved in the urban legends well uh right off the bat i'm gonna go with probably the most famous urban legend of all time because it is by far one of my favorites uh and i personally have tried it growing up numerous times and it's the legend of bloody mary as we all know uh you know the idea is that you go into a bathroom you shut the door turn the lights off and you know you can take a flashlight if you want to some people have some haven't the idea is that you don't though and you chant the name Bloody Mary three times while looking in the mirror. And supposedly, if it all works out the way it's supposed to, then you'll summon the spirit of Mary Worth 
which is a woman who was supposedly executed for being a witch. Um, there's some evidence supporting that this is possibly a true story, uh, that if you were really to go into a bathroom and uh, say Bloody Mary, you can really summon this spirit. And I came across one particular reference which claims that they had that experience and some pretty bad stuff happened to them. Personally, I don't necessarily think it's true. I think it's all plays off fear. You know, uh, your own emotions get to you and it's kind of like the hook man or the candy man is another one where you can uh, chant the candy man, man's name three times as well. And suddenly you'll feel, feel his hook uh, brush up against your neck. But in reality, it's just the hairs on the back of your neck standing up because fear is starting to set in and you're worried of what's about to happen. Um, so you, you think there's a scientific explanation behind many of these urban legends? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Now, let's let's talk briefly about the Bloody Mary. Um, okay. Now, if there were an actual manifestation that did take place, because we know that when people play with Ouija boards and people get involved in different forms of seances, we know that there are many, I mean, countless cases of physical demonic manifestations that do take place. Now, obviously, if you're dealing with some kids at a party, say they're like eight or nine years old, they're playing with a Ouija board, their hearts aren't in the right place to be contacting spirits. They're just, you know, moving a little plant shit around on the board. But you've got these people who are really trying to communicate. And I believe those are the ones that are successful because in their minds and their hearts, they're literally crying out, reaching out in the spiritual realm to communicate with a spirit. Now, as Christians, we know those spirits are demons. We know that the deceased, you know, the deceased go on to either be with the Lord or they go on to hell. And, but in dealing with these demonic spirits inside the different realms or what we'll call the spiritual realm, I think it's possible that what's going on in the event that somebody really does contact Bloody Mary, because they're not really contacting Mary, um, as we just said, but I think it's possible that a spirit could show up if they try hard enough. But I think the reality of what's going on here is nobody who plays Bloody Mary is actually trying to contact a spirit. I don't think they're really trying to reach out. I think they're trying to play a childish game. What do you think? I completely agree with that. Yeah, Personally, Justin. I believe that too, but I do believe too that, you know, it is possible that maybe a demon would use that time to actually, you know, manifest itself and because there's already fear there. So if they can use that fear to manifest and appear as Bloody Mary, they would. No, no, that's a great point, actually. I'm, I'm really glad you said that, because when you go back to the whole vampire folklore, a vampire, fo- a lot of the vampire folklore is based on demonic practices. And a vampire can only come in your house. And again, this is folklore here, folks. I'm not I'm not <laughs> I'm not telling you that this is real uh, about the vampire, but you have to invite the vampire in. And that is actually very true about demons. We have to invite the demons in somehow, some way. We have to open a portal or a doorway. So I think you're exactly right, Justin. I think it's possible that if somebody really were trying to contact Bloody Mary or they did make, you know, they put the line out, I think it's possible that a demon could show up. Yes, for the most part, I believe it's just a a childhood game that people play because they want to be scared. But since you're already in that fear mode, a demon could use that to its advantage. I agree with that completely too. And uh, and going back to the Ouija board reference as well, I think the same thing there. Growing up, my sisters and I played with the Ouija board numerous times. And 
not every time, but quite a few times we ended up contacting something and we had a lot of uh, experiences within our own home. Uh, and at one point when we were using the the board, the, uh, the little device that you put your hand on. The planchet. That actually started getting really hot, like where we couldn't touch it anymore. Um, and wow. we had to back off and just freaked out. We ended up eventually throwing it away because, you know, it was just one experience too many. Yeah. Um, but at the time, you know, we weren't thinking, oh, we're really going to contact something or, you know, we don't really want this spirit to come forth and so on and so forth. It's just fun and games. But the fact is demons are manipulative and they'll use anything to get in. Um, and it can be just a child playing around, just messing around, you know, and, and statistically, I mean, this is, I guess it depends on what you, what I mean by statistically, but it's been said that children are more vulnerable to spirits due to their minds being open to such things, you know, where when we grow up, a lot of us shut it out and we don't really think about spirits. We don't think about the dead and so on and so forth. Uh, the children, they're always open. They're always vulnerable. And a lot of the times, uh, when it comes to spiritual hauntings, kids tend to be the, uh, the source that these hauntings revolve around. You know, kids tend to see them. They can't, can't tend to interact with them. My sister growing up often talked to my grandma, who she claimed to have been able to see. And it's just, you know, I, I think there, when there's an opportunity, a demon is more than willing to take it. Absolutely. Let me interject real quick. Uh, that's, yeah. re- that's really interesting. And, and I think this is... This really, what you just said, I could not have worded better because we are dealing with all these phenomena around the world, literally all over the world, where people have been haunted their entire lives. And you say, well, how could that be so? Because it started at childhood. Mm-hmm. They were raised in a home where they had freedom to to play around with demonic games. Demonic, and I call them games because they're not games, but to them, they're games. The, right. the parents look at it like, oh, it's a harmless game. It's a Ouija board. Or the kids are having a sleepover and they want to have a seance with some candles, whatever. A lot of parents look at that. Uh, they just, it's, it's kind of like, they, they just kind of brush it off nonchalantly. Like it's normal for kids to do this. And I've even noticed a lot of times, um, a lot of, a lot of Catholics that I've come into contact with, they've had the mentality that it's okay to tamper with metaphysical practices. It somehow fit into their religious beliefs. Now, not all Catholics, but a lot of Catholics that I've met, and I even dated a girl years ago, over 10 years ago, probably um, it was right before I really started walking with the Lord. And she was telling me that her grandmother, her grandmother was a Catholic who lived in New Orleans and her grandmother had taught her, get this, her grandmother taught her as a child how to read tea leaves. You guys ever heard of that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a total witchcraft practice. And I right. asked her, I said, how does this fit into Christianity? And she said, well, I don't think it does. And I said, oh, it doesn't at all. I said, but it's fitting into Catholicism because your grandmother's a, a very devout Catholic in New Orleans. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, yeah. and again, I mean, I, I've also met Catholics that I was con, I was convinced that they were saved. And I, I know I'll catch flack for saying that, but still, I've met some Catholics who just call themselves a Catholic, but they don't practice any mysticism. They don't pray to Mary. They don't do the rosaries. I mean, they, they, they read their Bible more than their own priest probably reads his Bible. (laughs) But, um, it's interesting because a lot of these kids are taught these things, you know, somehow they're taught these things as children. They start practicing this stuff as kids, think it's a game. Then they realize there's power involved. And then before you know it, they're haunted the rest of their life. 
Mm-hmm. You yep. you said that there was a case that you read about where people claimed that Bloody Mary showed up and then bad things happened. What what did you find out about that? Well, uh, this one, I mean, there's no name of this person. It's just something they posted. Uh, this person lives in Pennsylvania. And when she was about 15 years old, uh, some friends uh, of hers, as well as herself, uh, ended up going into the bathroom and chanting Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary. And the claim is that this girl showed up. It looked like she was in her 20s in the mirror and began turning towards them. And the kids ended up bolting out of the bathroom. Well, apparently, a few months later, uh, a friend, one of the friends I was with there with them, uh, their dad died. I believe he ended up killing himself, actually, uh, at this point. And then later on, she says that there'd be days she just started changing moods would suddenly start, you know, her and her friends moods just constantly start changing all the time after this experience. And they'd fall into deep depression sometimes and they'd want to die and do this and do that. Uh, <clears throat> and this is something that's happened, you know, for years and years and years after it. And according to what she wrote, she said that it's been nearly seven or eight years now and she still feels the effects ever since that particular incident. You know, it's exactly like a seance. It, it really is. People don't realize it, but if you're going in the bathroom and you're shutting the door and you're going to play Bloody Mary, or you catch your kids doing this, because uh, we got a lot of we've got a lot of listeners that have children, and you catch your kids doing this. Not only do you need to rebuke the situation, but you need to rebuke your children, and you need to you need to pull them out of that situation, explain to them why this is witchcraft, and then you need to pray a cleansing prayer and command any spirits to leave your home. Because this stuff is very real. Not to say that something happens every time, but the same type of stuff happens with the Ouija board. Again, I say that because this really, uh, a Ouija board is just one medium for a seance. Right. So, right. but now this is interesting because TV shows have kind of picked up on this. I remember I saw the episode of Supernatural. I don't remember if it was season two, it might have been one, season one or two. But they had an episode about Bloody Mary. Yeah, no, there was an episode in Bloody Mary uh, in the second season, I believe. And they did a pretty good job of of kind of depicting the situation. But of course, it always boils back down to Hollywood. (laughs) (laughs) But now, now, Justin, tell me, let's move to you for a second. Tell me something. uh, Let's talk about one of the urban legends that they kind of stick out to you. A girl is driving home and she has this guy behind her flashing his brights at her she starts getting afraid thinking he's going to hurt her and uh she drives home runs into the house and calls the police the police show up and arrest the guy because he's outside her house and he's yelling that he was just trying to help look at the car look at the car and they find a hook that's attached to the car because there was a guy that was like on top of the car or sometimes he was in the car and he left the hook latched into the roof from the inside. Um, that's got to be one of my all-time favorites because it's stuck with me for this long. What do you think the story behind that is? I mean, what do you think? How did it get started? Honestly, it's one of those things where something like that has happened where people have been taken hostage in a car by somebody who's hiding in the back seat. And it's just one of those legends. That's more of a warning to be to tell you, Hey, this can happen, but is it likely that it's going to be some dude with hook? 
more than likely not. It's just going to be, you know, a guy who is desperate for something, whether that's cash, whether that's he's looking for drugs, whether that's he's desperate for some other reason. Yeah, it's interesting because a lot of these legends, like I mentioned earlier, growing up in Texas, we had some local urban legends that nobody's probably ever heard of outside of our region. Now, granted, yeah, it could be a rendition of another legend that somebody's told in another state. But in reality, it's one of those situations where one situation triggers this whole snowball effect. And before you know it, the story has been embellished and, and created into this massive story where people think it's something that's going to happen to them. Right. I agree. But I think with the Bloody Mary thing, I think that's probably, I think that might be a little different. I think that's probably a different category because the Bloody Mary is an urban legend that's, as far as I know, I mean, it's nationwide and, and quite frankly, it could be worldwide. I, I don't know. Right. But let's kind of move into urban legends that are steeped in reality. Okay. Now, obviously people have the story of the Loch Ness Monster and you know, I don't really consider that an urban legend. Right. You know, because the fact is Nessie's out there somewhere and she's probably just a, the Bible talks about different types of sea monsters. So mm-hmm. I don't really consider that much of an urban legend. But when we get into, say, the Sasquatch or the Bigfoot, that actually kind of gets my attention a little bit because there's some similarities. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, in your opinions, but there are some similarities with a Sasquatch type creature and the shadow creatures. I mean, any picture that I've seen a Sasquatch has been almost a shadow creature caught on camera. It's been low quality. Mm. Now, I've experienced shadow creatures in real life, but the Sasquatch, you know, there's a lot of theories about Sasquatch. A lot of people say, well, the Bigfoot or the Sasquatch, whatever you want to call it. And I know that there's different storylines behind both of them. But a lot of people believe that they're a product of a pre-Adamic race that had to do with a demon queen known as Lilith. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't take that view. Because I don't believe in a, in a pre-Adamic race. And if there was, there's no proof of it because we just have to stick to what the Word of God says. Um, right. I think it's all... We also have to question the legend of uh, Lilith, too. And, and, you know, that really, that's almost an urban legend in itself because the idea of Lilith is, there's two stories that I've heard. Now, this is interesting about Lilith. Um, I talked to one gentleman who majorly, I mean, this guy, he's very scholarly. I uh, don't agree with a lot of what he said. But he said that Lilith was the twin sister of Cain. Now, there's no mention of a twin sister or even a sister of Cain. Right. The scripture, the Bible says nothing to that effect. And then he really kind of shot himself in the foot, in my opinion, when he said that Cain is really Lucifer. And that Lucifer is not the name of the devil. That's another name for Cain. And I said, okay, this conversation's over. (laughs) But the the most popular theory on Lilith is that she was Adam's first wife. Okay, that's we're all familiar with that. Yep. But when she branched off and went to do her thing, she became the mother of all demons. And that's kind of the story that we hear about Lilith, that she's this eternal creature, which I've, I've seen nothing. I've, I've, I can't prove any, you know, everybody has these theories, but there's no proof. Nobody in history has turned into a spirit. No human being has ever turned into a spirit. And then been able to rule the roost for eternity. So, you know, that kind of falls to the ground as well. But regardless of the backstory, what do you guys think about the Sasquatch or the Bigfoot? Um, well, personally, I mean, I, I take a demonic stand on it again. I take a demonic stand on a lot of stuff. Um, 
the fact that, as you had mentioned, all the photos tend to be blurry. Uh, they're never uh, detailed enough to give any true evidence supporting that it's an actual creature as opposed to like a human that's dressed up or, you know, something else altogether. I, I think you, you, there, there's this, there's this other legend that they're also aliens <laughs> that have come down at some point. Um, but the thing that gets me is considering the amount of evidence that we have and the amount of uh, sightings that have been claimed, there's just not nearly enough proof to support their existence, especially considering if they've been around as long as they've been around, eventually they would have to die out because there's not nearly enough. There can't nearly be enough to keep the population up and going. Um, otherwise, you'd be seeing them everywhere, no matter where you go. I mean, I'm in Virginia. That, that's one of the areas you know, in the Appalachian Mountains. Bigfoot is seen a lot in the Appalachian Mountains. I've yet to come across one. Uh, and I should be seeing one often, you know, every once in a while, if it is truly a race of some type of creature. But uh, I tend to think, you know, demons are capable of manipulating. They're capable of manifesting in different forms. They're capable of showing up as a person that you know and love showing up as an animal, whether it be a dog or a cat or a wolf of some sort. Uh, you know, I think it's more than capable of manifesting itself as this Bigfoot-like creature because what it does is pull people from the truth. It pulls people from, you know, looking to God for answers because they're like, oh, here's this thing. It's going to take all my attention. I'm going to go out and look for it. And now suddenly my life's consumed by something that probably doesn't even exist in the first place. You know, I, I want to add to that because I think that you made a really good point. It does. It distracts people. But let's take it a step further. Okay. If people are focusing on a Bigfoot, now from a scientific perspective, we know that a lot of scientists believe in evolution. Now, I'll say a lot of them are coming coming around now. There's there's quite a few creation, uh, creation scientists now. But mm-hmm. somebody who looks at, uh, at a Bigfoot, the idea of a Bigfoot, they say, oh, we've got faith that this is a, a real creature and we've now found the missing link. You know, we right. th- this is proof of evolution, which obviously it's a bunch of crap, but that it could it, and demons, demons, a lot of the demon agenda is to take away from any truth that we have. They want to totally deceive us from the word of God, from the creation account. And we see the same type of deception that comes through with the Anunnaki and the, the alien seating or the ancient astronaut seating theory. But when we, we consider the Bigfoot now, what what exactly what exactly is the alien theory? Because I've never heard that. Uh, it, it, I, there's no specific name of alien. It's just that there was some point in which, you know, unidentified flying saucers came down, uh, dropped off these Bigfoot-like creatures, and they just kind of hung around ever since, at least some of them. Uh, and it's just another theory that they're extraterrestrial beings. There's also another one where they're just you know, from another dimension and they show up when they want to show up and people happen to catch them here and there. And that's why they're blurry because they're actually in between one dimension and the other. And they happen to show up for a moment, but then fade out, if you will. That makes the most sense really when you think about it, because when we're dealing with these, these demonic entities, whether it's the black eyed children, whether it's the, and the black eyed children, that's not an urban legend. I'll be the first to tell you. Um, Mm -hmm. When I got done doing the show on, you know, I'll get to that in a second. But um, any of these, inter- I call them, I agree with Josh Peck. We call them interdimensional or extra-dimensional beings, and L.A. Marzulli agrees with us on that. These things can jump dimension to dimension. 
And so that's how they appear and disappear. And people, people have a hard time with that. They obviously want to jump to conclusions, say, Oh, it's an alien from another planet. It can, you know, just go from one to the other in a black hole. But in reality, it makes the most sense that it's a, it's a demonic manifestation, interdimensional or extra dimensional. Um, you know, and what's crazy about the alien theory is back in the eighties, we had that TV show called Alf. Y'all remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Now, as cheesy as it was and crude, from what I remember, actually, when I was a kid, I didn't think it was crude, but now that I'm older. <laughs> um, but Alf was a sort of a Bigfoot-type alien creature. He was just not tall. Right. And we were conditioned that it was normal for a family to bring this alien hybrid creature into their home and love him and let him do whatever he wants, let him eat pizza, let him watch TV, and let him just rule the roost. It's kind of interesting to see because the Bigfoot uh, phenomena has been going on for quite some time uh, before the 80s, and then the 80s that show comes out. So it's just we see little bits of, of conditioning, and we've also had TV shows that have conditioned people to accept hybrids, um, quite a few of those. But even in the 80s, I think 80s or 90s, there's a show called Alien Nation. Do you all remember that? Sounds familiar. I don't remember if I've seen it, though. This, this Nephilim with an elongated skull. I mean, a massive elongated skull, really freaky, ball-headed looking thing. He gets accepted by the government, and he's like an FBI agent or a detective or a cop. <laughs> Total propaganda. People are getting conditioned. And I think the purpose for the conditioning is getting people ready for the end times demonic armies that are coming. Mm-hmm. And I think that when people are so pre-programmed from the movies and the TV shows, when the demonic armies start coming up out of the bottomless pit, coming down from the second heavens, coming up from the depths of the ocean, wherever they're stored right now, people normally would freak out. And they're still going to freak out, but they're going to freak out less because they've been previously conditioned to this type of takeover. And I'm not trying to freak people out when I say that, because obviously these are things that will take place during the tribulation. I'm not saying that it's going to happen tomorrow. I'm just making a point. Right. But yeah, I did want to make a statement, and this is kind of a little update on the Black Eyed Children. Uh, Ellie Marzulli and I did a show on the Black Eyed Kids, uh, I guess it was a few months back, and I got an email from a guy who lived in the UK somewhere, and he wrote me to tell me that he's experienced the Black Eyed Kids multiple times on his property. Now, he's seen them very clearly. They've come to his door. They've approached him when he was out in the in the field. He had a little bit of property around his house, and he said what was interesting about it was he had closed-circuit security cameras all around his property because he had property, and he was able to get the Black Eyed Kids on video. Hmm. I said, man, I, I would love to get a copy of that. So he said what, what was ironic about everything was that shortly afterwards, he checked the footage out, everything, he got them saved to DVD, and he said that there was a mysterious fire that happened at his house, and his house burned down. Uh I mean, unbelievable. Yeah. So, but he said, he said the cool thing was that he went through, he was able to salvage a lot of, uh, a lot of his, his belongings and he did salvage his videos. They were, it's a whole spindle of DVDs of all the security footage. And he said he still had the video of the black eyed children. It was just going to be a matter of time for him to go through them and find the disc. So I'm hoping to get my hands on that disc. I know I've got a lot of people that would love to see that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, yeah. Especially if they appear and disappear. That's just going to sell it even more. But uh, <laughs> I talked to Justin uh, a couple weeks ago about the Banshee. It's an Irish folklore. The Banshee is supposedly a spirit that will come when somebody is about to die, somebody very close to you. And it's basically a warning saying this person, it doesn't like say a name or anything. It just has a blood curling scream 
and it's a warning that somebody is about to pass. Uh, that's about as much as the legend as I know. Uh, it actually is sometimes attached to only certain families. Uh, other legends say it's kind of a nationwide, like, or countrywide thing for Ireland. Um, but for the most part, that's the, the bulk of it. It's just a warning. I've done some studying on it, and it appears that there were even recordings of the Banshee's Cry in America, North America, I think as far back as the mid to late 40s, if I'm not mistaken. Are you guys familiar with that? That's actually the first I've ever heard of it. What about you, Eric? Likewise. So I was curious because when I went on my paranormal investigation trip to Lincolnton, North Carolina, and I was able to go on site to the haunted house that my friend grew up in, I'm walking around, I'm getting some footage of the the window where the window was the window of the room where much of the demonic activity took place. They explained it like little kids singing voices would constantly come in there and just all just all sorts of madness. But I hear this noise in the background. I didn't think anything of it. I just figured, okay, well, probably some tire screeching. Mm -hmm. I, I got back to the car. My friend was driving and she asked me, she said, did you hear that? That noise a few minutes ago. And I said, ah, it's just some tire screeching. She goes, no, it wasn't. She said, I was sitting in the car the whole time down by the street. She said, I heard it and I looked around and there was nothing around me. No cars going by. And not to mention, it's like a 25 mile an hour street, a two lane street. So for a car to be peeling out like that, there would be no place for them to peel out. And she said that she was she was concerned because she heard it. She thought maybe a car was spinning out and they were going to slam into her. So she turns around and looks around and there's no cars anywhere in sight. And it was so loud. It wasn't just an echo. I mean, it, it sounded like it was right up next to us. And so I was kind of curious about it. So I, I had the video. I, I rewound it. I went back and, and checked out the footage. Sure enough, I heard it in the video. Now, a couple of my friends heard it and they said, oh, it sounds like some screeching tires. And I said, that's interesting because there's no cars anywhere around us. So I don't know. I, I, I don't have I don't have a definitive stance on whether or not we heard that or not. But where it gets interesting is that we got back and her stepmom was very, very concerned that we went to that house. She said, you know, that neighborhood has gone downhill. She said people get killed out there constantly. Like it's a drug and it's a drug and crime rate neighborhood. So there's really no telling what was going on there. But I, I really did think there was something to that noise I heard. And the first thing you asked me, Justin, was did somebody die? I, I don't know. I, I really have no idea. Well, it's, I mean, that's just the legend of, of Ireland, you know, and I, you know, when we talked to Barla Ventura was a guest of ours and she, her book was the Banshee. There was a couple of other creatures that the title was, but uh, she had said that e even in America, people have heard the, the cry of the Banshee. And that kind of interested me because like supposedly that this was a Ireland folklore that. It stuck in Ireland. There had never been any cases in America until we talked to Varla. And, and now that you mentioned it, um, I've never really heard the legends. I've just, I just know that uh, Varla was kind of talking about it a little bit. And, uh, you know, it, it kind of comes down to that, the demonic presence as well. Because, for example, if it was connected to a family, obviously it's, 
demonic in nature. It's attaching itself to somebody. And if somebody is def, uh, definitely dying after they hear this noise, uh, is that really a predeterminer of their death? Probably not. It's probably just rare coincidence that they're hearing this and then somebody's passing away. Uh, it's just one of those things where people attach it to that coincidence because it's something that you would never hear outside in a normal or normal daily thing. It's one of those sounds that are so distinct that it literally chills your blood and scares the living daylights out of you. Let me, let me throw a theory in there. Sure. Now it's possible. And again, I, I want to make something real clear to everybody listening tonight. We're not telling you that all the urban legends are real. Okay, we're not telling you that we sit around and believing in all these things. What we're doing is we're trying to pull them apart from a spiritual perspective to understand better if there's really something going on there. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not we're not selling these products to you to tell you that you know, these stories are real and they're all going around. And you know, we don't believe. Right. And, and the fact is, uh, all three of us, I, I can speak for myself at least, maybe for you guys, but we believe that there are some truths to some urban legends, but then we also believe there's a lot of hype. Right. So, too. so and what I like about you guys, and I've already said it, is that we, we try to pull these things apart from a spiritual perspective, uh, knowing what we know about the Bible and knowing what we know about the spiritual realm and demons. So um, just a thought about the Banshee's cry. Okay. And I'd like to get your guys feedback on this. I think it's possible that the noise that people hear in the event that they do hear a Banshee's cry, because like you said, Justin, people it's it's it, I mean, it's, it's blood curdling. I mean, people hear it. The people who say they have heard it, I mean, they're a step away from admitting themselves. <laughs> so um, there's definitely, if there's anything to it at all, it's demonic. I think that's the the baseline standard of most of these stories. If there's any truth to them, they're demonic. But with the Banshee's cry, I think it might be something that's in another dimension that we're hearing and we're we're able to hear it, but we can't see it. The interesting thing about it being from Ireland is that we're dealing with uh, principalities. Different regions of the world have different principalities. Even different states in America have different principalities over them in the spiritual realm. We right. know that there's a hierarchy of demons. We go back to Matthew where if a demon leaves a man and it comes back and the person is not saved, not filled with the Holy Spirit, it'll come back with seven more spirits that are even more wicked than itself. So we know based on the scripture that there's degrees of wickedness or power right. and then the demonic realm. Right. And we see the same thing in Ephesians 6 when talking about the uh, armor of God uh, verses 10 through 18, where they talk about the principalities, you know, and all the different uh, branches of, if you will, of demon hierarchy. That's exactly right. You know, and I think that with Ireland, there's quite a bit of folklore in Ireland. I've done a little bit of looking into a few of them. I know the folklore of the leprechaun kind of goes back into, uh, and that, the whole leprechaun thing, that has really been snowballed over the years because from what I've studied, the original tales of leprechauns, they were not just happy little guys that will come up and chase you down if you get their gold. I mean, from what I read originally, some of the original tales, uh, you're dealing with what they call imps or fairies, and they were yeah. very wicked. If there's any truth to that, they're definitely demonic. And I think it, it takes you back to the idea that they were imps or they were fairies or pixies, different names in different regions, but they were demonic spirits that would really hassle people. Mm-hmm. Well, so, yeah, and that's the funny thing about a lot of these things, fairies, leprechauns. There are so many different little creatures that have kind of evolved over the years uh, because they did start out evil, 
And then people like Disney, um, people that wanted to make light of the situation, turned them into these happy-go-lucky things. Even uh, gnomes, trolls, you name a, a specific creature that stories have turned into these light, happy stories. They, a lot of them were evil creatures that terrorized human beings. But here we are in a generation where we're taught to embrace these things. Very true. Even the Disney, uh, I'm glad you said Disney because uh, from what I did, when I did my research on the Leprechaun, I was really sparked because I saw a movie that came out this past year and I think it was called Leprechaun Origins. And I mean, man, this, this was insane. I mean, this was, it depicted a leprechaun as a demon, Mm -hmm. literally, uh, literally a demon that was out to kill people and people had to give, bring offerings to it to keep it satisfied, offering blood offerings and gold offerings and different things that were of value. And if, if there was a slight glitch in the, in the offering, the schedule, then that person would get killed. And I mean, the movie, I'm not, I'm not recommending it for everyone. It's probably a little too graphic for some people. But after I saw the movie, you know, I watch, I watch quite a few horror movies for research purposes. It's, it goes along with what I do. I've got to stay on top of, of what people are being taught in the media, what they're being taught in the movies, because I've got to be able to expose the demonic agenda. So I watched the movie and it really, it caused me to want to look into the whole, history of the leprechaun. So I, that, that's kind of what got me wanting to look into it and find out more about it. Um, but it's, it's a lot simpler than people think it is. I think it just goes right back down to a spiritual creature, which is a demon. But here we are now. Disney came out with um, the Sean Connery movie. I forget what it's called. Listeners that are a little bit older in years probably remember the Disney movie. Um, Sean Connery played this guy. He was like the main character. But regardless... That movie brought leprechauns into a positive light. <laughs> and before it was brought into that positive light, many people in, in Ireland thought of leprechauns as demonic. So yeah. it's just kind of interesting to see how that works. When I was a right. kid, we had these these dolls called troll dolls. And they weren't really dolls, but I don't know what you call them. They're like these little figures that had this long hair that like stuck up. <laughs> Wait, what? What? I had a troll doll. <laughs> okay, you know what? I had one too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, no Eric. Works. Eric, you want to add anything to this, pal? I didn't have one. <laughs> oh, you suck. <laughs> this is embarrassing, but at least I'm not the only one. Oh, boy. My sisters had a ton of them. Though. Okay, you know what? That's enough. <laughs> I feel now because... <laughs> Man. Okay, we're going to have to cut Eric's mic if he keeps making us look bad. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the idea of a troll doll, it seemed really, it seemed really innocent. And I had a handful of them. I had like a Frankenstein, a Dracula, you know, they had some seasonal ones that came out. It was just one of those things that the kids collected in my school. So everybody wanted the trolls, but the idea of a troll in and of itself is not a, it's not a good thing. Well, I mean, it kind of boils down to, I mean, basically what these things really did look like was a leprechaun. Um, and then when you think of what a troll actually looks like in folklore, is not what these little things <laughs> look like. I don't understand how, you know, we go from historical demonic roots into public acceptance. But I really, ha- I think it has a lot to do with the, the New Age agenda, the New Age moving in, the, the dawning of the Age of Aquarius. 
Now, it's, it's an agenda that's it's been long planned out by the Illuminati, by witches, and here it is now where we look at these things as just everyday normal, just normal practices. It's normal for kids to have this. It's normal for kids to watch witchcraft TV shows on the Disney Channel. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, look, and th- this is coming from myself just because going back to just 10 years ago, I think it was about 10 years ago, maybe it's been less than that, when Ghost Hunters first came out. And it brought to light, you know, the paranormal investigator. And now it's become an everyday thing. Everybody that I've ever met has either met a paranormal investigator, used a paranormal investigator, um, or is part of a paranormal investigative group. It's normal. It's absolutely normal. And when I go to spend a weekend up in Chattanooga with my best friend Rodney and his, his wife Heather... Uh, my brother and I go up there, spend a weekend with them and their family, just have a really good time. One of the things we like to do is we, we go out and get dinner, we come back and we watch movies or TV and we just talk. And it's not uncommon to watch ghost adventures. Mm-hmm. They'll, because they record it and they, they'll put it on and I'm just blown away at how demonic it is. And I mean, these people are going out of their way to communicate with these entities. You knock on the door long enough and they're going to open. They're going to open and they're going to come right in. And my good friend Patrick Meekin, um, I've had him on the show before. He, he's just, he's a really good friend of mine in real life. Love the guy to death. He's experienced uh, a couple of real life haunted houses. Um, he's written two books about them that are now published. And one of his books was actually in like the top, I forget. It was, I mean, it was amazing. It, it raised really high up on the Amazon Kindle list. But he was talking about hearing some interviews with the guys. I don't know if he had some friends, some mutual friends or, or how it all happened, but he said that um, the original crew from Ghost Adventures said, all, at least off the record, that their lives have been forever changed since they've been doing this. And these guys are not Christians by any means. They might make reference to try to call on Jesus to help them here or there, whatever, but they're not Christians. And I mean, they're practicing alchemy and, and a lot of what they're doing. But what's crazy is that they've all had demonic experiences one of the guy's marriages was totally ruined because he was bringing demons back into the house and it totally stirred up his whole house like a hornet's nest and it distorted his marriage. Um, I mean, all three of the guys have stories that would blow your mind of the demonic attachments that they've been involved in since they started doing the show. But it's well, glorified and everybody loves it, so right. it must be okay. <laughs> and Zach, Zach Bagans recently bought a home... Uh, that was claiming to be possessed or haunted by demons. And they were in there recently, just a couple of months ago, filming. And the activity was so bad that he actually had to shut down production completely for several weeks because people were getting hurt and pushed around and so on and so forth and just became life-threatening. And he had to back out for a while. And he owns the home now. And anyone who knows the show and knows Zach Bagans, they're not the type to really back down from such things, you know, they want more info. So uh, seeing or hearing, I guess, that uh, he shut down production completely due to the demonic activity, you know, that they, they believe in demons, they believe in human spirits as well, but in particular, demonic activity, just goes to show, like, the type of crap that they're really dealing with, you know, on a daily basis. And sometimes it's, you know, not as bad as it is other days, but in the end, it's always going to come out to the same result. The only protection that anybody has, you know, if somebody's listening tonight and they love the topics, they love hearing us talk about these things, 
but you're not saved, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, Yeshua, and you've never been sealed with the Holy Spirit, you've got no protection against any of this. None whatsoever. And these most of the people in the industry that are going out and doing these things, they're literally going out trying to pour gasoline on a fire. And what happens is the fire is going to blow up in their face. And they've got no protection because they've never submitted their lives to Christ. And they're going out there trying to communicate with the spirits. And in their mind, they're trying to communicate with the dead, which is necromancy. And the Bible specifically forbids that behavior. So it's no surprise that these guys are going to have turmoil that follows that type of behavior. But uh, again, another reason why we do the kind of shows that we do at the Fourth Watch Radio Network and at Paratruth Radio is because we like to bring out these things with a Christian perspective because people are going to listen to these topics one way or the other. So we want to put it out there on a platform where people can hear a godly perspective, a biblical perspective, and they can see it through the eyes the way a Christian ought to be seeing it. Now, with that said, we've got a little more time, and you guys just did a show on shadow people. Yep. Mm-hmm. I've got a story that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring into play about a personal experience, but I want you guys to, to take, the, take the floor, and uh, literally, let's break it down for my audience. Give them a little taste of, of Paratruth Radio uh, from that particular episode. Shadow people, uh, most people have, if you're into any type of the paranormal, uh have seen these things uh, documented by ghost adventures, ghost hunters, uh, paranormal state, pretty much any paranormal show that you have seen out there has done or found uh, the shadow people. Uh, what this shadow person is, is a black figure that will appear on video or camera, uh, even pictures, even you can probably see them with the naked eye as well. Um, and it has a head. Sometimes you can see arms. Sometimes it's just a body. Uh, more times than not, it's almost a distorted human figure. Always black. Always no features of the face. A lot of people speculate what these things are. Are they demons? Are they human ghosts are they interdimensional beings that are you know coming into this realm to you know check us out it's all speculative as far as the theories you know most people would believe black demonic i'm a firm believer that is probably a demonic presence we uh, did an investigation at ghost alley uh, out by the akron area of ohio and we we're down in the basement uh, it is a bowling alley. We're down in the basement uh, where they had a kitchen and then a whole storage area. And then they had a back, uh, kind of like a cellar, a back cellar. And we were walking back there as a group. And I, I mean, I remember seeing it myself. I know a couple other people saw it. There was a shadow, a human shadow that darted across the boxes coming in the opposite direction, the way we were walking. And it actually caused the group to split up and go two different directions to see if we'd come around a corner, whoever was over there. But of course there was no one there because it was a shadow. Uh, and that was probably, that was the only real instance that we actually uh, came across when we were investigating. I know we both have personal encounters with shadow people. I remember personal encounters. Yeah. I was staying at my dad's house. Uh, it was late at night, early morning, whatever you want to call it. It had to have been, 12, 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. Uh, I was sleeping out in the living room 
And I saw the outline of a person. I thought it was my father because uh, we had had the TV on and I thought he was coming out to, you know, tell us to take it, to turn it off. So I got up, went to go give him a hug and then he was gone. There was nothing there. But there was, as far as I saw, the outline of a figure. It was a, a black figure. It was dark. I couldn't see who it was. And it, they were just gone as soon as I got to, to where they were standing. How old are you when this happened? 14, 15 years old. Now, what about you, Eric? You, you said you've had some personal encounters as well. <laughs> Back in 2006, I believe it, I think it was 2006, uh, years are starting to blend together now. Yeah. It happens. <laughs> <laughs> Winter of 2006. Uh, I went through a three-month period of demonic oppression and affliction, uh, which eventually got me into the occult and you know doing the whole radio thing eventually, and eventually got me saved as well, uh, brought me to salvation. Uh, Amen. Yeah, but uh, I won't go into all the details how it led up. But eventually I started seeing these shadow figures in my bedroom, just kind of darting from the walls of one place to the other. Uh, I would see them out in the hallways, you know, whenever I'm walking around. One instance in particular, though, I came home from work one night. It was about 6 p.m., drank a protein shake. And as I'm drinking it, I look down the hallway and I see this gigantic black mass maybe seven feet tall or so. It was deformed, you know, it had a head, it had shoulders and a torso and the beginning of legs, but it didn't really have any arms or any legs. Uh, and I stared at it for a couple of seconds, I, you know, just as if you were looking at somebody, you know, eye to eye, that's how clear I saw it. It wasn't out the corner of my eyes like many people see them, uh, but I saw it point blank and I watched it for a moment and then it turned around and darted down the hallway. And so it took me a moment to process it, and suddenly I realized what was going on. So I put the drink down and charged down the hallway after it, thinking it was my mom who was standing there because I wasn't quite sure. And I was like, Mom, you know, where are you? Are you back here? So on and so forth. And I hear my mom's voice, except that she, her voice has come from the opposite direction down in the basement. So I don't know, you know, whatever it was. Well, I know what it was. It was a demonic entity that was standing there. Um, but it just happened to be there. For a good five seconds, turned around, ran away. And by the time I caught up, it was gone. Just disappeared. So Now, the question that I have for both of you guys. Yep. Now, Justin, you were in your, in your early teens. And Eric, you were, you were an adult at the time. I was two. Yeah, 21, something like that. So now, Eric, obviously you had, you had some practices in your life that would have easily welcomed that type of oppression because of your, your cult, your, your previous lifestyle of being practicing a cult. Um, occult practices. So, but Justin, what about you? Uh, was there anything that you had done? Were your Did you come from a Christian home? Was Was there anything strange going on in your house? Um. Family? Well, actually, I had the Ouija board as well, and uh, me and my stepmom would use it on occasion. Uh, we used it at my mom's house where we actually lived a couple of times. Um, and my, my stepmom would always encourage us. I don't necessarily want to say play the Ouija board, but investigate into these things. And I, I'm on the same page with Eric about this with the Ouija board and you as well, Justin, that it just opens doors. And at an early age, I mean, as Eric said, we're, we're kind of, uh, 
a little more open to these things happening to us. So yeah, I, I would say I opened the door. What's interesting is that my last encounter, I don't believe I did anything to open a door. And okay. now, now th- this is, this is spooky. And when I, when I take myself back to this night, I still get the chills. This was last year. Walking with the Lord strong for 10 years. Been doing the, been doing the fourth watch radio show for over a year now. And I was on the phone with brother Lewis Tejera. Now he is a, he's a minister and he's also a radio host. He's one of the hosts. He and Javier host a show called Radio Redemption and Power. And it's an, it's an awesome uh, weekly Bible study show they do, just solid Bible teaching. And they're out of Miami and they deal with a lot of witches and warlocks and uh, spiritual warfare just beyond what most people are used to seeing. It's, it's not uncommon for Lewis to walk into a place and, and cast demons out of somebody, out of a witch, out of a Santero. So it, it's just, it's common practice. And I had invited Lewis to come on the fourth watch. I wanted him to tell some of his stories of what is, what he's experienced dealing with a lot of the witches and the warlocks and the voodoo and all that. So. We we went through a couple stories on the phone, and I'm in my room now. I have a basement apartment. The area that I'm in, my back wall is partially, mostly, actually, it's mostly completely underground, and it's a yeah. it's a center block wall, and so that's that's the wall that my bed lines up to. I'm sitting on my bed, and I just get off the phone with Lewis. We just went through some of the stuff we're going to talk about the next night, and we prayed together. I hang up the phone. And it was probably one in the morning or something. It was it was kind of late. And I'm sitting on my bed. And my, I had my eyes closed. And I, I was just praying, just talking to the Lord, just just praying and having fellowship with God. And uh, this is crazy. In the middle of my prayer. Now, I want everybody listening to picture this. When you close your eyes and there's light in the room and you wave your hand across your eyelids, don't touch yourself, but you just you just run your hand back and forth. You right. can you can see it walking by. Mm-hmm. Okay, now it's a fast movement, but I'm praying, and this thing walks in front of me. This was a shadow creature all the way up to the ceiling. I rebuke it in Jesus' name, and this thing walked right through the cinder block wall underground. I had never experienced something so up close before. I mean, I, I, I still, I get chills when I, when I even think about it. it I mean, it, so many people talk about these encounters and I know that so many people believe in these encounters, but once you've experienced it, it changes your perspective. Even, even if right. you believed in it before, when you've seen it and you've experienced it, it's like a whole different game. And, uh, I just, I sat there and I just kept rebuking. I, I started rebuking any spirits that had come into the house. Any, I don't, I don't know how they got there. I don't know what brought him in, but it's probably that's up there on the list of some of my most extreme personal experiences. I don't think that we always have to invite a demon in, if you will. Um, I think sometimes, you know, they're everywhere and they have not free will, but they have the ability to go, you know, from one place to the other with God's permission. If you you remember uh, in the book of Job, Satan turned, went up to God and asked him numerous times if he can, uh, afflicted Job, uh, and we we saw he had to ask for permission. And even though Job was, uh, you know, if you will, God's right hand man at the time, uh, he allowed Satan and his demons to go to him, and you know, 
do whatever God allowed them to do. And I think even today, God allows demons or you know, shadow people to enter our lives at certain times as a test to see how we're going, you know, what we're going to do about it. You know, how are we going to react, so on and so forth. And I think the way that you reacted, you know, by rebuking and praying would be the correct way to go about it. Other people, you know, even Christians, their first thought may not be to turn to God. It may be to just, you know, sit there in fear and allow uh, that entity to infiltrate, you know, their relationship with God at that moment, depending on how far they let it go. So no, I actually totally agree with you wholeheartedly on, on that. There's no question about that. And if somebody sits there and submits, and that's what it is. If somebody sits there and doesn't rebuke this thing in, in the name of Jesus and they don't plead the blood of the lamb over their home, they're temporarily submitting to that force. Mm-hmm. And that's that's dangerous because fear, I mean, somebody falls into fear and fear is a type of bondage, no matter how you look at it. Yeah. You know, uh, I do think, I, I think you hit the nail on the head there, Eric. My theory, and this is just my theory, of course, you get to a certain place where, you know, we can speculate on what really happened that night. We really don't know exactly, um, you know, what was happening on a timeline. But I do think that the show that I did with Lewis was really powerful. I mean, it was a very powerful show. And I don't believe the enemy wanted... First of all, I don't believe the enemy wants any of our shows to get broadcast. But this was a really powerful show. And I think that there was a a spiritual battle going on surrounding this particular show. And I think what was really interesting about it was, as I was praying, almost like it was getting kicked out of my house while I was praying. Now, I saw it. I recognized it. And I rebuked it. And it was... But it still appeared that it was making its way out when I caught it. Because it was already walking in the direction of the wall. And as soon as it passed my field of view, it was only about 12 inches from the wall. Mm-hmm. So it, it's just, it's really amazing. And I, I, like I said, you really did. You nailed it because, you know, the Lord does allow these things. It's not that he sent them. You know, we don't believe he sends them, but he allowed it to happen. Right. And just like with Job and just like with other circumstances, he allowed it. And it is a test. Obviously, Satan means it for evil. But just like with the story with Joseph, uh, everything that happened to Joseph, he, what did he say? He said, you know, you guys meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And right. it built my faith. It was a spiritual battle that I felt successful. I felt like I had defeated that battle right there on the spot. And rather than being fearful when these things start to happen or we experience these things, we need to stand up in Christ. We need to recognize what it is and deal with it just like that. I agree. Some people have a hard time dealing with these things. They have a hard time dealing with demonic forces, demonic spirits, manifestations. And I'm going to be real careful that I don't put a blanket statement down because I never want to put a blanket statement down on any topic all the time. I think that there are sometimes exceptions to the rule. But I think if somebody is having a hard time getting rid of these things, then it's time to really examine your heart and examine your lifestyle and really Ask God to reveal and purge anything that needs to be dealt with spiritually. I would agree with that. Um, one story I wanted to share with you really quick, um, and this is proof of that. Uh, we were doing an investigation in Jeffrey Dahmer's uh, family home before he moved. Uh, and I had asked whatever was there to prove that they were there. And I got touched on the back of the neck. Needless to say, it freaked the living heck out of me. 
we went home after the investigation. Uh, me and Eric, you know, said goodbye. I was walking to my car and I heard really low, deep voice say my name and I told it to go away. I said, in Jesus Christ's name and, you know, God make this thing go away. And just like that, because I could feel that it was there. You could, it was almost, it's even hard to describe the feeling that it is. But you could tell something was there. And as soon as I said that, it was gone. So I believe 100% that if you're dealing with something that is afflicting you in a way that is causing you harm, it's causing emotional and uh, physical harm, or even just emotional and spiritual harm, to do just that. Mm-hmm. I agree uh, with both of you in regards to you know really looking into your heart, you know, and, and seeing where you at, where you're at with God, and where you're at spiritually. I think is very important. A lot of people who witness uh, demonic attack or demonic uh, hauntings and so on and so forth. Will go to a priest. Them, them, they themselves not being saved will go to a priest, or even you know, worse, they'll go they'll go to some occult practice, uh, and they'll come in, they'll cleanse the house, and the person, so on and so forth. But like you mentioned about Matthew twelve, uh, verse forty three, it says that when the unclean spirit leaves, it goes around the world looking for a place to rest, and in verse forty four it says it comes back to the house and finds everything unoccupied, swept and put in order. What that means is regardless of who you bring into the home to cleanse it, whether it be a Christian priest, uh, a medium, you know, someone who's dabbling in other types of witchcraft or whatever. If you don't accept the Holy spirit, if you don't accept Jesus as your Lord and savior, that house will always be unoccupied and it will always be available for an evil spirit to come back and use and it'll always be worse. And I think that's something that you really have to remember and think about in these situations, because even, you know, a non-saved person can use the name of Christ. They can call on Jesus. Just the name Jesus in of itself is more than powerful enough to cast out anything in the world. But if you don't accept Jesus into your heart, all, you know, ultimately it's only going to have a uh, semi effect on you know on uh, on your life. It, whatever evil spirit it is will come back and it'll bring more. So no, that's yeah. exactly right. That that's I mean, man, that is exactly right. And so many people do turn to they'll go to a Catholic priest or they'll go find a medium or somebody who is a quote unquote certified paranormal investigator. And they'll bring them into the home because, or, or even, I've even read countless stories of people contacting voodoo priests and Santeros because they deal with the demonic as well. They bring them into the home, they go through this cleansing ritual, and then they leave. And they don't realize that that's not dealing with the issue. And the issue is an issue of the heart. And in the scripture, I've said it before, I'll say it again. When the demon comes back and they find the house empty, or not filled, depending on what translation you're using. I prefer the King James, but still, uh, they all say about the same thing on that verse. They, they, they find the house swept, put in order, but empty. That's talking about it's empty. It's not filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, you're inhabitable. You are inhabitable. You see, we were created to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
If you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, you are inhabitable by demons. And there is a hierarchy of them out there, armies of them out there, looking to come into your body and to possess you. Because to them, you're just a meat suit. You're a vessel. You've got to be filled. You're either going to be filled with the Holy Spirit or you're going to be in danger of being filled with demonic spirits. So the good news is when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, there's only room for one. But when you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, there's no telling legions of demons can come in, they can take over, and they can fill your body. And um, I, I, I want to add something to this real quick. Now, Justin, uh, I'm, I'm going to be real real sensitive how I say this. You mentioned going into Jeffrey Dahmer's house. Yep. Now, how long ago was this? Uh, it was probably in 2006. Probably 2007, I think. Okay. So you guys started doing the show once you guys both were saved, or were we all doing the show before y'all got saved? Before we got saved. Okay. Yeah, so was this before. was this experience done before you were saved? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and I'm asking this because I, I just I, I've got to be real sensitive to my listeners about something, and, and I, I mean no disrespect to you, um, but I, I do need to give a critique about something, and not everybody has to agree with me when I say this. Um, you know, we don't have to agree on everything, but, um, you know, it's important that we agree on the non-negotiables of the faith, but to go into a place and to try to contact the spirit, you know, to ask the spirit to show itself, um, I personally believe that's wrong. I think that that's dangerous because we're not to communicate with spirits. It's one thing if they appear to us, it's one thing if they show up in your home and you've got to, you got to rebuke them and, and command them to leave. But the problem is you got all this, this new generation of paranormal investigators coming up. They got vinegar in their blood. They're, you know, hot out the kitchen and they're running anywhere and everywhere trying to communicate with these spirits and trying to get it on camera, get it on audio recording. And I just want to say, um, I don't, I don't think it's right for us. I think it's actually a sin to be trying to communicate with spirits. And I think that if somebody intentionally goes into a haunted place and ask these things to show themselves. I think that that's a very dangerous game. I just needed to throw that out there. I don't want to give any mixed uh, impressions to any of my listeners about where I stand on that. You know, you tell me you did that before you got saved. That makes sense. Um, that's, that's a popular practice in the paranormal investigation world is to reach out and try to communicate with these things. Yeah, I mean, it's a dangerous game. Even if you're saved, you're trying to push these things out of other people's homes. Yes, it's a dangerous game. Do not do it at all by any means, um, especially if you don't have means to to get rid of it. I mean, um, there are paranormal investigators. Most of them may follow a Christian faith. But as you guys have said, there are numerous people that have a Christian faith but are not saved. Absolutely. And, and I think we're living in a time where that's more more prevalent than ever is where so many people believe they have a Christian faith, but it's, it's not a real faith. It's not, it's not a biblical grounded faith in Christ. Um, but I just want to make that point because, um, and I know some of my friends who are just as saved as I am, um, they don't agree with me. They think that when you go into a house to cleanse it, you're supposed to try to communicate with these things and then cast them out. Uh, my personal belief is that you should not try to communicate with these things. Um, when you're doing a paranormal investigation, you just go out there you, you know, you walk around, you get some footage, you look into what's going on. But the purpose of it, from where I'm standing, the purpose of doing the paranormal investigations is to help people, is to try to get to the root of the situation and then cleanse the house. I agree. So, and that's just, that's, that's my opinion here. I'm not trying to force that down anybody's throat. I just wanted to throw that out there because, um, I, I just know there's a lot of people that hear these types of shows and they get really excited. They want to go out and, because everybody listening can probably tell, 
at least one or two places in their town that's probably haunted, filled with demons, or they've heard stories of these places. And it's it, there's something adventurous about wanting to go out and, and investigate. I mean, I, I like to do on-site investigations. Um, right. I just think that we've got to be very careful. We've got to have on the full armor of God. I like to say filled to the brim with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, it's uh, it's really cool just to see what you guys are doing. And again, everybody, we are talking to Eric and Justin of Paratruth Radio. I want to thank you guys very much for coming on the fourth watch tonight. And it is paratruthradio.com. You can also look up Paratruth Radio on Spreaker.com. And if you have the Spreaker app, you can look up Paratruth and probably stream the, the shows really easily on your smartphones or your mobile devices. Um, anything else you guys want to add before we close out tonight? I just want to thank you for having us on. It's been wonderful and I've uh, been looking forward to uh, to this show for a while. So thank you. Hey, man, it is my pleasure to have you guys on the show. I really enjoy coming on Paratruth Radio. And uh, if anybody's listening and you have not heard the episode that uh, that we did together, it is on blogtalkradio.com. Now, have you guys uploaded your old shows to the Spreaker site yet? I have. Okay, great. So you can just go to the Spreaker site, find Paratruth Radio, and it is, what was the title of that show we did? Was it Demonic Possession versus Mental Illness? Yes. Uh, it was. Um, with the Spreaker one, I just gave it a number, and I honestly don't, off the top of my head, remember, but it will be in the description of of that particular episode. Okay, so if you're going to look for the description, you're going to have to go to Spreaker.com on a computer because the app does not give the show descriptions. Just a heads up for anybody right. listening. But yeah, listen, guys, it is it is always a pleasure to, to talk to you guys. And you all come out with a new show every Sunday. Is that correct? Yep, every yes. Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern. With that, uh, Eric and Justin, thank you guys so much again from the Fourth Watch Radio Network. And I uh, wish you guys grace and peace. And may the Lord bless you guys and continue to bless your ministry. Same to you. Thank you. Likewise, sir. All right. You'll have a good night and we'll talk soon. All right. All right. All right. All right. Bye bye. So the past few weeks, we've been digging into some of the Beatitudes that Jesus taught. I found it appropriate tonight to talk about being a peacemaker because we live in a world where so much anxiety and turmoil are prevalent, where divisions and fighting seem to reign the realms. So it's never been a better time than now to be a real, true peacemaker. But what exactly does it mean to be a peacemaker? Many people would probably answer this differently. And we're going to get into answering that question next week. But this week, I want to talk about the original peacemaker. I want to take you to Matthew chapter 5 verse 9, where Jesus said this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. So being a peacemaker starts with accepting Christ's sacrifice on the cross which truly made it all possible for man to be at peace with God. And there's no way that we can be real true peacemakers until we come to the true peacemaker, the original peacemaker, Jesus Christ Yeshua. Now let's take a trip back in time. I want to take you back to World War II. After World War II, the United Nations was created to promote world peace. But since its formation in 1945, there has not been one single day of global peace. And you can look into this. And the truth is, that's a sad commentary on man's inability to make peace. In fact, someone once cleverly stated that Washington, D.C. has so many peace monuments because they build one after every war. (laughs) What a joke. But it's a sad reality. But it hasn't always been that way, friends. 
the world hasn't always been the way it is today. You see, prior to the fall of man, peace reigned on the earth because all creation was in perfect harmony with its creator. But you see what happened, sin interrupted peace by alienating man from God and bringing a curse upon the earth. And man couldn't know true peace because he had no peace in his heart. That's why Jesus came to die. Now I just heard a story about a couple. They were going through a divorce and the couple was at the divorce hearing and their conflict couldn't be resolved. They had a four-year-old little boy who was with them at the hearing and he became distressed and teary-eyed over what was happening. His family was being torn apart. Everything he knew as a four-year-old was dissolving right before his eyes. Now while the couple was arguing, the boy reached for his father's hand and then he reached for his mother's hand in the other hand and he pulled until he joined them together. In a sense, that's what Christ did. He provided the righteousness that allows man and God to join hands. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 explains that those who are justified by faith have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is that mediator. He's the bridge connecting man and God. We have to be reconciled with God because of the curse that sin brought. Colossians chapter 1 verse 20 explains that God reconciled all things to himself through the blood of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Yet on the surface, the scene at the cross wasn't peaceful at all. Pain, sorrow, humiliation, hatred, mockery, darkness, and death were all oppressively pervasive. But through it all, Christ was doing what he alone could do. He was making peace between man and God. He paid the supreme price to give us that precious gift, friends. In the future, Jesus will return as a prince of peace to establish a kingdom of peace that will usher us into an eternal age of peace. In the meantime, he reigns over the hearts of all who love him. No matter what the world throws your way, friends, don't be disgruntled, but let God's perfect peace reign in your heart today. Just take a moment to thank God for the peace of heart that comes only from knowing Jesus Christ Yeshua. I want to encourage you all to seek after this peace, this perfect peace, the only real peace, as you grow each day in the knowledge and the saving grace of Jesus Christ Yeshua. If you're listening right now and you haven't accepted the Lord Jesus Christ Yeshua as your personal Lord and Savior, and you haven't accepted his holy sacrifice on the cross to pay for your sins, it's absolutely impossible for you to have a solid understanding of his word. It's impossible to find protection from the demonic realm and the days that are fast approaching, friends. And furthermore, it's impossible to have peace with Yahweh Elohim, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ Yeshua. But here's the good news. You can start anew right now. You can repent of your sins and have the wages of your sins paid in full. Now is the time to repent and turn away from your sins and make right with the will of God. You see, the Bible declares that we don't know what tomorrow holds, so we must take action with the time that we have right now. Repentance is the first step. This means turning 180 degrees from your past thoughts, 
actions, and lifestyles that are in opposition to the Most High God. Because of Jesus Christ Yeshua and His once and for all sacrifice, you can be forgiven of your iniquity and every sin you've ever committed. Yahweh is a jealous God, but He's also rich in mercy. And tonight, if you're willing to admit your wrongs and repent, He's willing to show you that mercy right now, friends. The wages of our sin is death, but tonight we can receive the gift of God, which is eternal life. But as it says in Romans 6.23, only through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's no other way to come to God, folks. There's no other way to get salvation. You can't earn your salvation by good works. Fact is, Jesus Christ is the only way. Every other way, folks, leads to hell. There's no authentic way to the Father but Jesus Christ Yeshua. I'm so thankful that God sent His only begotten Son to die on the cross, a living sacrifice, and shed His sinless and perfect blood to pay the debt of our sins and the ability to be seen as blameless before God on that day of judgment. Let today be the beginning of your communion and peace with God as you're filled with the Holy Spirit and begin putting on the armor of God and growing into an intimate relationship with Him. It's the will of God that you don't perish, but rather that you repent and enter into a relationship with Him based on His terms. If you're not sure of what God's terms are, I want to challenge you to start reading your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, get one and learn firsthand what God expects from you. Christ is our only hope, friends, and my prayer is that you believe on Him tonight. That's the most important part of the show and by far the most important decision you will ever have to make in this life. Amen. It's been an interesting adventure tonight, and I hope you've all enjoyed this broadcast. If you ever miss a show or would like to go back and re-listen to an old one, every show is archived in high-quality streams on my website, fourthwatchradio.blogspot.com. That's the number 4, T-H-W-A-T-C-H-R-A-D-I-O.B-L-O-G-S-P-O-T.com. Fourthwatchradio.blogspot.com. There you'll find every broadcast dated and summarized for your convenience. Be sure to scroll all the way down on each page and click on the words Older Posts to be taken to more pages of archived shows. You can also find my shows broadcasted by the Fourth Watch Radio Network on Shoutcast, Spreaker, iTunes, or if you have an iPhone, iPad, or Android, you can download the Fourth Watch Radio Network app and enjoy easy streaming. For higher quality broadcasts, stay tuned in via fourthwatchradio.blogspot.com for all the latest shows. Like us on Facebook and feel free to add my personal page as well. If the Fourth Watch is ministered to you and you would like to help support this ministry, you can follow the link on our website. I bid you all a week filled with grace and peace in the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll see you all next week. God bless and good night. You're listening to The Fourth Watch with Justin Fall on The Fourth Watch Radio Network.